Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the High Button Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Belanger. I hope you enjoyed Canada Day yesterday. I hope you enjoyed a cold one. I hope you put your feet up. I hope maybe you know you are around a fireplace with your friends, with your family, with your loved ones, with the people that you care about. That's what this country is about, people. This country is about spending time with the people that you love and being able to do exactly what you want to do every single day, waking up, living your best life. Look at the look at the world right now. I'm not trying to say Canada is all that in a bag of chips, but you know, if if you look at some of the problems in, in other places in the world, you know, we have it pretty good. That's one thing I, I realized yesterday when, you know, I was four or five beer deep just sitting there thinking to myself, you know, we got it pretty good. You know, the worst thing that we have to worry about is wear a mask. Worst thing that we have to worry about is keep, you know, six feet away from someone, you know, what, what is it in a group of 50 or I don't even know the rules anymore. But at the end of the day, living here in this beautiful country, uh, you know, that we call Canada, we have to consider ourselves, you know, lucky people. And uh, yeah, that, that's one thing I realized yesterday that, you know, living in this country every day, waking up, getting to aspire to be who I want to be in the future and not, you know, allowing anyone to, to dictate what I do for a living and doing it in a country like this not even in a country, in the Atlantic provinces. It's just, you know, the people are so friendly here. Yesterday, you know, I ran into buddies that I haven't talked to in four, maybe five years, and it's just great catching up. Everyone, you know, everyone seems good. Everyone's in high spirits. This COVID thing is, I feel like it's, it's passing us slowly but surely. Um, you know, other problems in the world are definitely still wide awake, but I think for the most part right now, people are happy and people are trying to enjoy the summer here in the Atlantic provinces and, and across Canada. So I hope you enjoyed Canada Day. I know I did. My friends did. Family, everyone. It was a great time. Today's episode of the High Button Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Ladies and gentlemen, well, I guess I should just say gentlemen, but ladies, listen up too. We all know that shaving down there can be uncomfortable. You know, shaving your balls, you got to go down underneath the cup, you got to go to the right, you got to go to the left, and you're worried about nicking yourself. When you get a little bit older, you know, the balls and down there, it gets a little wrinkly. No, don't be ashamed. It's fine. Manscaped has perfected the ball hair trimmer. It will not cut you. And also, Manscaped has given High Button Sports a 20% off discount code. Use the discount code HBSports to get 20% off your order to have those fresh clean balls you wake up shave it it's good to go in the shower charges for up to 90 minutes no more going to the grocery store spending 50 bucks on a razor then you got to keep it in the shower then it rusts when the water hits it manscape good to go charge it in takes like an hour to charge you're good to go for like 90 minutes take it on the road with you you don't even have to bring your charger with the cord it's just set remember manscaped has perfected the ball hair trimmer we've been waiting for something like this for years gentlemen am i wrong am i wrong that's what I thought. Ladies as well. Maybe your man's not shaving down there. You don't want to have that awkward conversation with him. Pick up a Manscaped for him. Use the promo code HB Sports. Pick him up a, a ball hair trimmer. Give it to him. You don't have to have that awkward conversation. He'll get the hint. And the next thing you know, he's got clean balls. What more do you want? So remember, go to the website, manscaped.com. Use the promo code HB Sports. Get 20% off your order and just start living Start living a great life. Start living a better life. Walking out the door with a fresh set of balls. What more do you want? Man, this podcast I'm very excited for. Willie Palov. I remember playing for or trying out for the Mooseheads during training camp. I was on the bubble the whole time and it was after one of these games at the Forum and I was sitting there just getting undressed. I don't think I played that well. I'd probably been Jesus. Maybe I played five minutes that whole game, and I remember just sitting back in the dressing room, and all these other guys who were, you know, they're on the team. It was like, uh, you know, Desjardins, Canotech, Jared Grant, 
all these stars and studs on the team, they would always get interviewed after the game, after the dressing room. The media guy would come in and be like, all right, Kanotek, Desjardins, you know, Jelinov, Grant, all right, interview Willie Palov out front. And I'd be like, fuck, like, I want to get interviewed by Willie. Like, that would be sick. You wake up in the morning, your, your article's in the paper. It would be the coolest thing ever. So I remember I'm just sitting there one day. I'm on the back of the, uh, the, the dressing room. We're sitting in the SMU dressing room at the time because tryouts were at the form back then. And I think we just finished a game up with Cape Breton. Like I said, I probably wasn't playing that well. And um, the next thing you know, our media guy walks in at the end of the game and he's like, Belanger, interview, let's go. And I remember my spirits just picked up. I'm like, holy shit, some guy wants to talk to me about a, a hockey game I, I just played. Because back in the major midget days playing for the Max, Eastlink, Eastlink didn't go to the game. So I wasn't being interviewed there. Now, there, there was really no... Uh, there, there was no media coverage like there is now. So I remember my first ever hockey interview that wasn't about like a tryout, but in a, in a newspaper or even before I had a couple interviews on TV and radio and things like that. But before any of that, Willie Paloff was my first interview. And I remember walking out just so excited that there was fans there outside the dressing room. And I remember my dad was there like outside the dressing room as well, just waiting to drive me home. And I did, and he just saw me getting interviewed. It was it was probably a proud moment for my dad seeing his kid, you know, being interviewed. Had the Mooseheads jersey on that day. It was it was a really cool moment in my life. And I remember running into Willie, um, at a at a Thunderbirds game up there in the the media booth. And I went up to him. I, I shook his hand. I, I introduced myself. A little nervous. And I just essentially told him this story, saying, you know, Willie, I don't know if you remember me, but back in 2010, you uh, you interviewed me for for the first time and. I just wanted to let you know that I'll never forget it because now we interview kids. So, you know, when we're at the ice jam or we're doing something else where there's, you know, midget kids, Bantam kids, whatever it is, and we ask a kid for an interview, I know how important it is to that kid because I know how important it was to me when Willie interviewed me for the first time. So I just told that to Willie and um, this is maybe, I don't know, seven months ago. I just said, Willie, I'd love to have you on the podcast someday. And uh, today's that day. So Willie Paloff, Myself, Justin, and by the way, if you don't know who Willie is, he's the sports writer for the Chronicle Herald. He's been the writer for for years now. If you know, if you're obviously you know who Willie is. If you've been living under a rock, you probably don't know who he is. But you know, great sports writer. Like I said, I'm excited to talk to him. So yes, my name's Justin. We're talking to Willie Palov. This is the High Button Podcast. I hope you enjoy. You know what comes next. All right, let's just jump into it, Willie. Thanks for joining the show. Yeah, happy to be here. How uh, how was your Canada Day yesterday? Uh, it was awesome. Uh, I was actually at uh, Cabot Links. No. So yeah, yeah, it was a last minute thing. They uh, they have only Nova Scotians playing till today, so there was a pretty good deal. So I took one of my kids up there and yeah. we played the cliffs and then played the links yesterday and drove back. So have you always been a golfer? I find a lot of people right now are just starting to get into it because it's the yeah. first thing to do right now. Yeah, no, I've golfed since I'm you know eight or nine years old so nice still not that great at it but uh it's just good to get out right well I'm one of those guys that is just kind of getting into it and uh it just takes one hole for me to have a great hole and then I'm addicted to it but the other 17 holes I'm terrible but then like that 18th hole I'm like okay I gotta come back yeah it's just that one hole that gets you kind of addicted to it but the other half is frustrating for sure yeah yeah even I think even long the longer you play the more frustrating it gets because then you start to think you're good and you yeah, make real shots, but anyway, it's all fun. It checks your ego. Like your second, you're like, boom, I'm on to this, and then the next thing, you're like, eh, what the hell just happened? Yeah, yeah, that's right. During the intro, I was saying one of the it's kind of weird, but one of the bigger hockey moments in my life was off the ice, getting interviewed by you for the first time ever. I know I came up to you uh, in the yeah. it was a Thunderbirds game. 
introduced myself and I and I told you the story about the the first time I was ever interviewed was by you outside the the form or the SMU dressing room at the form. Okay. And I I always you know when you ever get interviewed for the first time as a kid growing up it's a big deal. Yeah. Um, so I guess my question to start this thing off was you know when when did you start this when did you become a reporter how long ago was it and and when was your like first interview and did you have any learning moments at the very beginning? Yeah. Well. Uh, I did my journalism degree in 94, 95 okay. at Kings. I had already gone to Acadia so I could go into the one-year program. Okay. So they, they do, it's quite a bit of practical stuff there. Um, you know, you're writing, they used to have a little community paper for the North End that we would put together. So you work on your, you know, your skills then. But um, the first story is that part of that program is you do an internship. Nice. So I did uh, one month at the Daily News, the old Halifax Daily News in okay. News. And... Uh, then I got my job at the Herald in November of 95. So so pretty quick out of school. Yeah. Well, actually, I, I was lucky. During, when I went to university, I used to work at a golf course uh, as a bartender. So there you go. Uh, after I graduated, I actually had a job op- opportunity, but I turned it down to go back and have one more year, just one more season of just hanging out. And then uh, oh, at the golf course. Yeah. What golf course, if you don't mind me asking? It was in Quebec. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a Knowlton Golf Club. It's just a small private club. Okay. And uh, so I would go back there, play, you know, because golf was included, just have some fun. And then uh, I came back to Halifax at the end of the season, and it was just complete luck. They were looking for someone in sports. So um, when I first started, I was actually just laying out and editing the scoreboard page, you know, the stats and all that stuff. That was all I did for oh, the, yeah, the yeah. first yeah year and a half and then uh yeah the uh the first reporting i did was uh covering the aus hockey league so was it yeah the first two seasons i covered that and uh so my first interviews were with with those guys you know the saint mary's and katie and all those players so dealing with some pretty uh mostly intelligent well-spoken guys so that was a good good learning curve and um trevor steinberg and danny flynn and Daryl Young were all in the league at that time, so wow, yeah, yeah. There's so a lot of good guys to get started with. They're super helpful. All all those guys. Kevin Dickey was my, yeah, he was the first year there too. Uh, he's the AD at Acadia now, so okay, um, yeah. Those guys, I, I appreciated them a lot. To just just learn the ropes because they've been around the game for a lot longer than me, so. That was that was the big learning curve for me. I want to ask about laying out the scores back when you know I played like Adam and Pee Wee. Yeah. Like the scores would be in there. Like it wouldn't be like a, much of an article, but you know you'd see like Justin Belanger one assist or something like that. But there's so many games, so many yeah. sports. So how, how does that work on a on a weekly basis? Like well, that's a lot of information coming. It was in. yeah. So <laughs> that was like an entry level job, right? So I, you would literally take phone calls. Uh, and just, yeah, Justin, uh, one goal for I don't know where you played Halifax Hawks. Or, yeah whatever it was, and uh, you'd have to type it in. And uh, everything that came in, even back then, they would take stuff like bowling and ball hockey and harness racing. So it was like super time-consuming, boring stuff. But, you know, people would buy it and clip it out and save it, you know. So, sorry to interrupt you, but are you calling them or are they calling you? No, no, they call us. They call us. So who calls, like the coach or like a mom yeah, on the usually, team? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we we couldn't have people just calling in and faking it. So you're trying to make That's sure. True. you We would, not me, but the editor would talk to the associations regularly and say, look, make sure it's somebody who's part of the program calling oh, okay, in. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we still get that with things like high school sports. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. 
but mostly everything now is on on the websites and we look it up but um, back in those days we had probably 10 or 12 people in our department so you know, it wasn't just you writing down the stats it was other always, people helping yeah. you yeah yeah and then but you'd also you know you've got to update everything and move around and the computers were so entry level it would take like 10 times longer than it does now so you know this was 20 years ago or no 25 years ago so you're working on old uh old technology right the newspaper has always interested me in a couple facets one of them was the cutoff time to print yeah. what, what time is the cutoff time to print well like, we when had, does all the info have to be in that's changed well, a part of it's changed there's that when i first started there were three deadlines so the provincial paper so if you live in sydney or yarmouth we had yeah. to have that back then we had to have it to the presses by eight o'clock so it was it was really harsh for sports right because nothing's over by then i so never thought of that yeah all the scoreboard stuff was late and but people got used to it people were, were used to it and we still have to do that because we do truck it like all over the province. I know, right? yeah, yeah. Um, and then back then, the Metro edition was 1 a.m., so we got That's mostly nice. everything. Yeah. And then if you go way, way back, there was the Mail Star, which was delivered in the afternoons yeah. around Halifax. So yeah. some shifts back then, I would have to stay until every single game, like on the West Coast, was over. So, you know, be there till four in the morning sometimes. Oh, I see what you're saying. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so if you get a game like in LA that goes extra innings or something, you're there just praying that it ends soon because you're pretty tired by then, right? So where are you? Just at home watching it on TV? No, you would be at the office. They, just be at the office. I mean, that was barely pretty, barely internet days, right? So. Well, I couldn't I imagine. Just, like, oh, it was terrible. I hated that. You're so tired. I would start work at seven o'clock p.m and then work till some like four in the morning most nights did you have a family back then no no i was only 23 years old oh okay so, so it was you're fine. just you're ready to grind yeah. you're like i'll do it yeah i'm the new guy right yeah so, exactly yeah so i had to do that for i think about the better part of two, two years almost two years and then i took over uh the university beat in 97 so yeah that was a cool yeah, yeah, and then you get you know two years on that, and then straight to the moose heads from there. Do you ever have people back then a little pissed off of you that like uh, maybe like an article isn't written in time? You're like Willie, come on, where's that write up? Where's this? Where's that? Why isn't this here yet? Like, yeah. how does that side of journalism work? Like, who who's waiting for your write up? Or are you your own boss in that sense? No, no, you have it's you can't be late. Like, there's no lateness because the actually the, the funny story is the first week I started, and this is in the old days when the building was on Argyle Street downtown. Uh, the Herald was it was across from where the shoe shop was. The the entire block was the Chronicle Herald. So, across from the Economy Shoe Shop? Yeah, that whole block and the parking lots up for the old Midtown that we had we owned everything down there. Really? It's not where the convention center is now. They bought the land from the Herald to build that. No way. Yeah, yeah. So back then, uh, the presses were inside the building. Yeah. And they didn't they didn't even have a Herald website because the internet was only a couple years old. So. The first week they bring you in, so I was like I said, 23, and they take you upstairs, and somebody takes you on a tour, <laughs> and they said, "This is where, when we're done, there's these 15 people waiting to take what you write or you edit, and then we have to turn it into uh, a printed paper a page, basically." And then he took me down to where they make the plates for the printing presses, and they said, "These guys are waiting to make the pr the, the plates." And then they took me into the presses where the, all the guys were running the presses. And it's yeah. like, these 20 guys are waiting to print it. For you. 
And the, yeah. yeah. And then they take, took me into where they bundle and package the papers and throw them on the trucks. And like yeah. these 30 people are waiting. And then these are all the truckers waiting. So you can't be late. So that was what <laughs> they tell you. So there's no, it's not really an option to be late because that's how they put the pressure on you. They give you the tour of everything that's waiting for you. Right. Yeah. It was on purpose. It's yeah. like, you know, just so you know, like, and I mean, there are occasions when you'll, you'll communicate with the, with the press room and say, look, this is game is ending late. So I'll triple over to need 15 minutes. And usually, you know, you work together, especially now. Like if I go all the way to the end of where we are now, the deadlines are a lot different now. Yeah. Our deadlines are, uh, 10 PM for the Metro edition. So, so that's good. Well, well it's not great. One. It's better because, well, the, the provincial, better than edition, eight. provincial edition is still eight. But the Metro Edition is 10. So when I go to a Mooseheads game, just to give people an idea, on a good night, it ends at 9.30. So it's got to be to the press guys by 10. So that gives you, I mean, you've been in the Metro Center press box. You got to get down. You got to get the kids out of the room. You got to interview them. Yeah. You got to write to, you know, type that up and send it. So you get about half an hour. So sometimes I'll ask for an extra five or 10 minutes, but it's, you know. You got to be organized and you don't want overtime. Well, like I remember during the Mem Cup when I was up there, I would watch you for like a couple minutes at a time and I would look at your Twitter and then I'd see you typing, like, but nothing would update on your Twitter. And I was like, what's he typing right now? And then it just kind of clicked in. Oh, yeah, he has to write his article yeah. as he's going throughout the game. So that's kind of when that whole thing clicked into me. Yeah. But is it difficult paying attention to the game while you're writing up a paragraph? Well, the best thing that happened was when they put in the big screen at the scoreboard. Because then you can see replays after, so it is harder. But you do get. Uh, it's all coming to me now. Yeah. Okay. In the old days, we'd have to ask each other. You know, what, you, you couldn't take your eyes off what was happening. Or if I go to a rink where they don't have a big screen, then I have to pay closer attention. So, um, and you kind of get used to it with the crowd noise and things. Like if it's play in the neutral zone. Yeah. You know, you're not gonna miss much. So you or, or you're right during the intermissions or you know during whistles and things like that. But, yeah. There's also a limit to what you can write. You know, a, you, you can't yeah. really write it till it's over. You don't know what the score is, right? But I feel so, like that's just the ending. Like in the in the middle, can't you kind of you do a little bit, yeah, like you can kind of go with the flow. A lot of it you can talk. I mean, if you're buying a newspaper or even if you're getting on the on the internet, you try not to give people a lot of play-by-play or things like that because you know, that's that's something they've already seen. You you're you're trying to build in like what the game means maybe for the standings or for players who are on a streak or whatever yeah. it is and um these days especially with how fast news gets out there yeah. you, you have to kind of put the facts of the game a little bit later if that makes any sense you know in the old days you only had the newspaper to get your information so you could put all your goal scores and scores yeah closer to the top but we got to move it around now and and make it more of a feature if that makes any sense so a little bit yeah yeah so you, you don't so like wanna... the feature is like the catch it's like is that what you're trying well, to say well it'd be uh let, let's say if you were playing in that game that, that i interviewed you maybe uh, i wasn't I, I wasn't playing but i was on the bench i was there though or if this <laughs> happened right it'd be maybe i'd build that story around you okay you know justin gets his first chance in a preseason game or whatever it is and yeah here's how it went and um and by the way this is everything else that happened in the game uh, okay so you could you could kind of work it's it's a little bit flipped than the way it used to be because back when I first started, you the, you always had to have the score up in the first paragraph or two, and then all the goal scorers and goaltending stats because people hadn't seen it before. But now yeah. that a lot of that's on the internet, so it's a little different now. But you okay. still you can't rely on uh, the outcome necessarily. 
because if if it's a game that's two one and you've written up that that team wins the game yeah and here's everything else and then uh, somebody scores late and goes into overtime it's flipped then I see what you're you saying. start all over you. again right so uh, it's a little bit you have to have a couple of plans in place sometimes so what made you like that day I remember I was sitting in the room I like I, fi- I had five minutes of ice I was on the mm. bubble with Jordan Costello yeah. And I remember the guys on the team was like Kanotech, Jared Grant, Desjardins, Carl Jelena. And these guys are all the studs on the team. So I was like, every time the media guy would come in and be like, all right, guys, Willie or someone else wants to talk to you. And then I was just sitting there and he's like, okay, Belanger, Willie wants to talk to you. And I was like, what? what? Really? Well, what goes through your head of, okay, I'm going to interview Belanger? Like, well, like, I mean, it's a long season, right? You know, in a good year, back then it was 72 games probably. It's 68 now. Okay. You've got five or 10 preseason games you've maybe if it's a long year 15 or 20 playoff games so some years it's 100 games right so you're like this kid's on the bubble i might not be able to interview him throughout the year well it's or it's a story i mean two things is that was a preseason game preseason game against cape preseason you're on the bubble so that's what people are interested in they already know carl jelena is going to make the team they already know he's a good player but uh, maybe I talked to you. I don't remember what I wrote, but uh, you said I was on the bubble. I was like, <laughs> I knew it was obvious, but I was like, yeah. you put it out there. I was like, ah, yeah, so everyone you knows. <laughs> so, so you and Costello and whoever else, and you know, people who follow the team closely are interested in that. You know, it's late. It's late in camp. There's maybe two or three spots left. Yeah. Um, they don't care that uh, whether you guys won or lost that night's preseason game doesn't mean much. Of course, it's part of the story, but. It's more interesting to people that uh, these are the three or four guys, you know, pushing for that last spot, and uh, you know what, what's that like, and how do they feel like their chances are, and anything like that. So you, you know, you got to bring us something a little fresh to each story, and uh, it gets hard sometimes, you know, in January and February because the team's been set for a long time. Maybe it's a boring game or whatever, but you know, that kind of situation preseason is sort of easier because at least there's some storylines that are you know, a little extra than just the game, right? So, yeah, yeah uh, those are the easy ones to, to figure out. How do you keep things interesting and fresh when the teams are losing? Yeah, that's harder for sure. That's harder. Um, you, I mean, injuries happen. There are trades. There are different things that, you know, generate news on their own. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, after the trade period, so this would be January to the end of March, like this past season, for example, you know, there was a playoff race, so you can work off that a little bit. But you, you have to switch over to just writing stories about each kid, maybe, you know. Uh, I mean, who's on the team now? Uh, you know, Justin Barron with his, his blood clot was a good example. That's a story you can do. Yeah. Or uh, stuff that's going on away from the rink if you have time. But the games themselves, they're harder to tell a story if it's, yeah. you know, a not an obvious streak or nothing interesting happens in the game. So you, you need some action for sure. What's your uh, what are your keys to a media scrum? Like I'm gonna go back to the Mem Cup again. That was the first time I was ever thrown into situations yeah. where I had to like put a camera and a mic in a guy's face, and there was, you know, sports and that TSN. Everyone was there. Yeah. Do you have any like secrets of like getting there first or anything like that, or well, you just try to be early? Yeah, a little bit of both. I first of all, I don't like hate scrums because it makes the players nervous. They don't they're not as free to say what's on their mind necessarily. So. Um, I would often pick a player who is not going to be surrounded by 10 or 12 people. Yeah, we do that so, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you might be first. Like sometimes you have no choice. Like if, uh, you know, Ramuski was in town when Sidney Crosby's on the team, well, you have to go and, and interview him. 
you have to be part of that scrum. So those cases, yeah, you you literally have to be physically at the front, and and then you got to be vocal and get your questions asked because not all questions are good. They're not questions that are going to fit the story you're trying to write. Yeah. Um, with him, sometimes be two languages. You know. Do so you speak French? I do. Nice. I do, but you know. A lot of I'm just saying for anybody else who doesn't like yeah. a French journalist who doesn't speak English doesn't want to wait till I ask three or four questions. I see what you're so and there's a bit of etiquette too. Like uh, other reporters know that if somebody's asking one question, you you're gonna let them go for two or three. People aren't gonna jump in. Um, I've noticed that. Yeah, that's one thing I tried to learn this past year was that whole etiquette side of things. Like, yeah, and <laughs> physically too. You you, you know people you're all over each other right so cameramen you have to be aware you have to lean a certain direction so they can get a view past your shoulder so you don't want to stand in front of somebody's camera um sometimes uh if it's a big scrum you know uh i might get somebody to hold my microphone who i don't even know you know they'll, they'll really once in a while yeah or somebody if they can't get to the front even if it's a complete stranger you just kind of have that sometimes confidence yeah. like excuse me do you mind okay sometimes or if somebody you know you all a lot of the reporters get to know each other and yeah you know i'll hold somebody else's or you know sometimes uh people will have i've seen people with like old hockey sticks with yeah. their mic type taped on the end so so for you guys you probably have a boom or something or something you can well, we uh, just use that thing the yeah. the shotgun mic and we find that yeah so you're okay right yeah but uh yeah i mean more than anything just getting back to what i was saying at the start i'd rather interview some always would rather interview somebody one-on-one -on -one because they're going to say more it's they're like more this. relaxed yeah. there's not other distractions and things like that so if it's a game where maybe not everybody stood out necessarily so you don't have to talk to say the captain or somebody then maybe you'd ask for somebody else so in a situation like that you can maybe get that person on your own or only with a couple people so yeah. a little better that way cool yeah what were um when did you start reporting with the Moosehead? sorry what year uh so i took over uh just at the end of the 99 season okay so so my question is what were those what were those crosby days like you know, uh, when you know Sid's coming to town, Ramuski's here. Yeah. You know, what were those days like? I couldn't imagine the media request coming to his hometown here in Halifax. Yeah. I couldn't imagine what it would be like a pregame skate, postgame, pregame. What was what, what were those days like? Well, has I mean, I'll I'll give you the long answer. It just turned out this way, but uh, my wife worked at a law firm where Sydney's father was the office manager. Okay. So this was when he was. 13 so like you were saying we used to see his adam or peewee scores called in and you'd see him score every week anyway he oh, would yeah. mention uh, yeah, my kid is becoming pretty good so um i remember doing my first story on him uh he had just turned 14 so i don't know what year that was maybe subways 2001 so it's he had just he was just about to start with the subways okay so at that time he was he was known around here i'm sure you know but not okay. to the point where he was being you know, inundated with media requests. So I got to know him early on and I got to know his family, you know, cause someone that young, you're not going to just phone up and you're going to want the parents permission. It's, it's okay. But, uh, you know, even then his voice hadn't broken nothing. Right. So, um, so even over the next year, um, I was able to have a relationship with him and then even the second year when he was at Shattuck. So, that was helpful when it came time to 
get access to him for longer features or you know at that time too i was writing for the hockey news so were you for yeah for five years i was with them so for a feature you you know i I get access but the minute he got drafted in ramuski you know everything changed not just i mean we still had a good relationship but you'd have to go through the media relations people more uh when he came to town it was always scrums um and the worst year was his second year, which was his draft year, because that was the NHL lockout. Yeah. So there was no other hockey. So it was even since then. There's never been anything like that. You know, he'd be scrummed by thirty people at, at a Metro Center game. Oh. So it was tough because uh, you know he had to become a little more bland. You know, at first he would you know talk talk pretty openly about most things, but. If you're talking, if you're 16 or 17 years old, years old talking to the only hockey audience out there, it's it's understandable, you know. But uh, yeah, those first years were tough, and it got tough too because some stories got more attention than they should have, you know. And what how, what do you mean by that? Like well, false I, false stories. Well, I just remember like one year, he, you know, the team was upset that he was getting roughed up on the road, and uh, they. they appealed to the league to keep an eye on it out for it and it became a huge national story that he had asked for special treatment and things like that so you sort of have to you have to write those because everybody's talking about them but you don't really want to because you know it's a story that's blown out to be bigger than it is yeah they were just saying look can can we work together here and it's not it's a minor thing that happens probably all the time yeah so uh it was it was hard to have to write those when you didn't really feel like there was a lot of news there, and also just to have to rely on more scrum stuff than than the usual one on ones that you're used to. Yeah, you know, with someone like him, where you can, like I say, get get a little more candid responses, that kind of thing. So it it changed a lot. So did it change junior hockey at all after? Because you know there there was more prospects than Sid after that, like Lafreniere, for example, this year. Yeah. Do you ever notice something, you know, before Sid came into the league to now how maybe media changed? Well that was yeah, that was I mean, they had a guy, Yannick Dumais was his name, with Ramuski, and he had to go everywhere Sid went all the time. So he was like who was just a security guard? He, well he was he was director of media relations, so he did it for everybody. But he, yeah, like he, he'd have to escort him from the dress room to the bus because there are too many autograph people. And there were some, you've seen it outside the, even the Moosehead's room and there's always some, but that was the first guy. There were always media relations people there to to get people for interviews and to to help, but nothing on that level. Yeah. And, uh, you know, even now. Uh, interviewing Lafreniere, you know this this season. There's a guy, and he brings him out, and you can you can talk to him about you know what what was it like in Ramuski because they had all that experience of of dealing with someone like him. So you know, sort of the irony is that because he and that organization had to do it at such such a steep kind of rate, yeah. Other top prospects like to play there because they know that they're going to take care of them that way. Yeah. Halifax is like that too. They've had a lot of guys over the years. First class, Cam yeah. and Bobby, those guys. Yeah, you know they uh, they've had you know Nathan McKinnon and Jonathan Drouin, Nico Heischer. Like they they can come there and they know that they're going to handle their time properly yeah. and stuff like that. So, and that that went across the league. Everybody everybody's pretty good at it too now. So. Yeah, I remember a funny story was because I I got called up during the World Junior, so like Marty Furk was away, and I think Kanotech. I don't know if that was the same year, but. 
I remember Ferk was away at World Juniors. That's why I got called up. And mm -hmm. I remember he was coming back the next day. So I knew like I was probably going to go down to Junior A. But I remember Cam just saying like, okay, guys, make sure like, you know, his gear is nice. The, the yeah. His skates are sharp. And when he comes back, his fresh sticks are in his stall. Make sure everything's nice and ready to go for him. I, I think uh, the trainer at the time was Ian Cox. He's the yeah. trainer for Ottawa now. And I just remember thinking like that, that's attention to detail. That's kind of, that makes the difference. Like they're like shine his helmet, make sure everything's just good to go. And I was like, that's, I think that's the little thing. It's the difference that, that makes an organization, you know, an average to Supreme, like the Mooseheads. Yeah. It's kind of yeah, cool. No, they do. It's funny you bring up the trainers. I mean, those guys, no one works harder than those guys. I mean, uh, Chris McQuaid was in that job when I first started and he set the bar super high. He had been with the Citadels before that. And, yeah. Um, and then uh, Chris McDonald was there for a long time, and he did an amazing job. He's now with Laval Rocket. So uh, these guys, what people don't see, and you would have because you played it. You know, if they're on the road, and they get in, they play somewhere, and then they drive to the next town, and they get there at two in the morning. And these guys have to go to that that rink and wash the jerseys and put out the gear to dry. I mean, they don't get done till early in the morning, and then they've got to be back for the morning skate. So. You know, these guys work hard, and the, the players appreciate that. Most of them appreciate that. Oh. But. Uh, most, that's a good point. Most yeah. of them do. They understand it, and, you know, I, that's a funny thing. If, if if a scout is talking to me, that that's one of the things they want to know is, like, because they can see that these guys can play. They want to know, does this guy, is he, does he treat the trainers with respect, or does he, you know, all these things that, that they might not know. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest ones is what's what's that guy like with the trainer, right? Yeah. So one lesson I learned early in junior was if you're on a road trip and you stop at an Irving or something and the trainer sits at the front of the bus, you always go, Hey, like, can I get you something? You want a chocolate bar? Oh, yeah. You want a water? You always, I learned, I, I didn't even learn. I just observed like, uh, I think it was Robbie Vericker was my captain in junior. And he, he was like the first guy off the bus or something. And our trainer was breaker. And, uh, he's like, Hey, break, you want anything? And I took that and I was like, all right, that's a vet move. You got to yeah. do that. You got to treat the, the trainers right. And then when I did get called up once, we were in Cape Breton for a road trip, and I remember the first time ever seeing my gear laid out. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, holy, you didn't have to do that. I would have done it. Don't worry. Like, <laughs> I was just in awe. I was just in awe that it, someone did that for me. Yeah. But it's crazy. Well, yeah, I mean, the Mooseheads, uh, they play in a practically a pro-sized building. You know, they have fans that are more more fans than a lot of AHL teams, you know. So they have... Yeah, I never thought of they that. They have to. Quebec's the same way. Other, other organizations... Um, and I should say, like all of the all the smaller uh, franchises, they do it the same way. Like they, these guys care a lot, and they know that the fans are expect a certain level. So it's yeah. it's not like it was uh, just as I was taking over back then. It was you know the league was a little more fly by night, yeah. you know, because most all of it until the Mooseheads came was in Quebec, and it, it was just the next step after Midget. It wasn't like. It, there wasn't the the same attention there is now. Really? It's, it's, oh yeah, it's way different now. Yeah. Do you ever travel with the team, like playoffs or anything like Usually that? Usually the playoffs. Yeah. 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 The regular season, it's there's too many games and yeah, it's it's not. A, I'll usually have a conversation with the coach after the game, so you can you can put together and we can watch it now on the internet too. So yeah. you can put together a reasonable story, but in the playoffs, it's more important to be there. Definitely. Um, usually, I try to travel separately from the team. You just go behind the bus or something. Well, you just, drive, if, if it's close, you'll drive, or if it's uh, a flying game, you fly on your own. Oh, and yeah. There have been times times early on when, when we'd have to go on the charter, and that's fine because there's no other way to get there. 
But you need the players need to have some space from us. Yeah. Um, at the pro level, it's okay, but they need to be able to relax without thinking there's some other adult there watching them do something. So yeah. you, you try to keep. You tr- you hope that they realize that you're not there. They're not on the clock when you're around. Yeah. So. But I prefer not to be around them. Just it's awkward for them, right? At what time in your career did you learn that lesson? Because I'm starting to learn it now a little. Just yeah, you know pretty early. Like yeah. you learn that. Yeah, I mean you you learn that in journalism school. But when I started out too, there were a lot of guys in our department that have been working for a long time, and uh, uh, I learned a lot from Chris Cochran, who was ten or fifteen years older than me, and he just retired. You know, guys like that. Uh, you, you kind of know you're not there to, to cheer for the team, obviously, but you're also, you're not there to put them in positions that aren't fair to them. Yep. You know, if, if a guy walks onto a charter plane and you're there and maybe he's got an ice bag on your hand, on his hand, it's, it's not really fair to, to, to be behind the curtain and, yep. and report that. So, um, you pick some of that up along the way. Cool. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk to you about the Thunderbirds this year. I wanted yeah. to get your reaction. I, I've been uh, I've played lacrosse since I was I don't know ten years old. Loved the sport. Pumped the Thunderbirds are here. Uh, I saw you at a couple games this mm. year, and I know you saw the crowds. What's your reaction to oh. the city of Halifax and the Thunderbirds here, just supporting them? I guess. Yeah, I love it. I I love that that people came to the games. I was worried a little bit. I knew some there like you. There there's a hardcore small group of people who know about lacrosse here. But you need numbers to make a, it's pro, right? So you, yeah. you need numbers for people for it to work. And I, I forget what year it was. You probably remember when they had the Worlds here. That was like ten or twelve years. <sighs> ten ago. years ago. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was really well attended and and well received, and, and that was great. But you know, Halifax can't. It always rises to those sort of one-time events. Yeah. So I wasn't sure how people would take to it. Yeah. But. Uh, they had a decent enough starting point with like a, a group of people and then they did a good job to make deals for the upper bowl p- tickets and things like yeah. that. And, um, it's, you've been there. It's such a good on, on field, on turf, or, on turf, yeah. whatever you want to call it. Yeah. The product's so good and the in rink presentation's so good. Yeah. And then they happen to have some exciting finishes to some games. So that helps a lot, like in the early part. And, uh, Were you there at that triple overtime game? Well, they lost uh, it, but they came back. No, Glenn McDonald, our, our, <sighs> he was there. And uh, I was following it on Twitter, and I'm Where, you know, brand new to that team. So, you know, but the games I, w- I was at were comebacks or close. And uh, so, yeah, it was, I, I think that it's on pretty solid ground now. Yeah. I hope. I just hope that the league can get started on time this year because half of it's in the States. So, I don't yeah. know where they'll be in say November or December yeah. with with you know ten twenty thousand seat arenas right so because yeah. you, you hate to see them lose momentum but uh, yeah I love it I I, yeah. I think it's gonna I think it's gonna work out what are your uh, what are your thoughts on the NHL right now what are they saying Toronto and Edmonton they said yesterday that's or? what they're saying they didn't announce um, it yet I don't think I haven't been paying close attention yet this morning i I thought i saw bob mckenzie yesterday tweeted say toronto edmonton yeah i mean it can it can be fine as long as they do these bubbles properly if if people the players and staff and they come in and they quarantine and they test them every day and and then they stay separated from everybody 
Um, That's why I don't get Toronto. Like, yeah. But here's this. I, we put it on our Twitter the other day and we said, you know, Toronto, Edmonton, what are your thoughts? And some guy commented, it doesn't matter where it is. It could be in Yukon. No yeah. fans are allowed going as long as they play. And I, I was thinking of, okay, that's true. But where would other places be that are maybe a little bit smaller cities and mm-hmm. that could hold like uh, an NHL size rink? And I was thinking uh, PEI, Summerside. It's an yeah. island. Yeah. You know, the, the cases haven't been that high there. But then another part of me thought, you know what? I'm not really too comfortable with a lot of the world coming to Atlanta, Canada. Cause <laughs> yeah. you know, we haven't had a lot of, I know two, two yesterday, maybe, but you know, there, there's something in the back of my head that's like, eh, I know it would be financially re- rewarding for Summerside mm-hmm. and PEI, but health and safety are like, you just, you think about it. You're like, I don't know yeah. if it's worth it. Selfishly here. Yeah. I, I would rather not see it. Yeah. I remember the month or two ago making the case that Moncton would be a good place. Cause at that time they were virus free for like a month. They have the new rink, plus they have the old Coliseum that are big. You know, they've got it's NHL beautiful. rooms yeah. and uh, workout equipment. So that's part of it. You, you, you know, you it's okay to practice in a small rink for a pregame skate or something. Um, yeah. But if they had TV, which is going to be their only source of revenue, TV revenue and maybe some radio, you know, there's certain infrastructure they need to have. But those two rinks definitely have it. And yeah. you could just stagger games you could play three in a day at two different rinks and Moncton's got tons of uh, hotel space where people weren't traveling from elsewhere. So, yeah. uh, or PEI, same thing, right? I was thinking like dorms at UPEI as well. Yeah. Exactly. But then again, yeah, like I think I always think of things, but then I think, okay, well, what's the argument to that? And my argument to that, to my own self was the millionaires, you mm-hmm. know, NHL guys want to be staying in a college dorm room. Yeah. You know, I think Carey Price wants to be staying on UPEI while his family's back in yeah. Quebec or something like, no, it's, but, Getting back to your point, to Toronto is still the biggest, you know, outbreak center in Canada right now. I mean, is that necessary? You've got places like Edmonton's a good fit, but you've got Winnipeg or Calgary, smaller, medium-sized yeah. cities that could take them, even Quebec City, you know. So I don't know the rationale. I mean, uh, if, if they're still talking about putting in places like Las Vegas, that uh, just to me makes no sense because – it's just breaking out even more now than it ever has in the States. So yeah. why do that? Right. But yeah. I don't want to, th- to, to the, see them bring, you know, cases into Canada, but if they're really, really careful about confining it, keeping people locked in hotels yeah. and it could, it could work. I mean, we all want to see it, but uh, yeah. not, at, not at any cost. Right. That's the thing. It's, it's yeah. kind of selfishly. We all want to see it, but you don't want to see mm. anyone get hurt yeah. or get affected. I don't know. We'll see. It's uh, it's an interesting time. Not even with sport. Everything. School. Yeah. Any word on your kids going back? Like, what's the word on that? Not yet. Nothing? I mean, it's two months away now. We had three kids at home for three months trying to do their schoolwork. So you were homeschooling. You were. Well, <laughs> how's your math skills? Hey, luckily, we. Uh, they did a good job, actually. Like my oldest son was in grade twelve, which is a bummer for him because he didn't get a big finishing year and sucks he was okay because he actually likes he prefers to learn online than he does in the classroom he's a good student so he's a but i think it's hardest for kids who need a teacher in front of them um yeah to ask questions or or whatever it is uh and my other son same thing he he was finishing grade nine he had no problems but um the kids, I think, who are in those middle grades, like four, five, six, and seven, that's hard because you're learning a lot of basics then. What What are you learning? I don't even know in that 
Like, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> uh, our, our youngest daughter's in grade one, so we just did arts and crafts and stuff. It was easy. But, uh, you know, if you're learning, like, I don't know, math stuff, and uh, I mean, I'm sure you or I could figure some of it out, but if you're into grade eight and nine math, I mean, we've all forgotten that. And uh, I don't know. Our kids uh, are in French immersion, so it's okay for me, but people who don't speak French trying to teach their kid another language, I mean, it's, it's yeah. a lot, right? So... And I know, uh, like my middle son, who's still in school, he his biggest concern is whether sports will be back on because if he misses like basketball season, he'll lose his mind, right? So big basketball guy, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think based on how it's going, we're all hopeful it's going to be back by September. I mean, we're getting yes. close to being a normal society again. So yeah, as long as we're not too cavalier about letting people from other parts of Canada and or even the States, you know, that, that's my biggest worry. Yeah. So, cause I, I mean, we need things to get back to normal. People got to work. People got to get out. People have to yeah. do things. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was off work for two and a half months, right? There's no sports. There's nothing to write about. There's like, you would know with your business, there's no ad revenue cause all the stores and businesses are shut down. So yeah. as long as we're cautious, then we should be okay. I hope so. Yeah. The, I, like I'm scared to go to the grocery store these days, not because of the virus, just because of the look. Like I'll wear a mask some days, some days like I won't. I'll forget it in the car, and you get looks, mm. and you're not following the arrows, and the looks you'll get if you're not following the arrows. It's just like, oh, sorry, I forgot. It's there's so many yeah. rules. The key to not following the arrows, if you're going like if you're down like the cereal aisle, what I do is I'll walk backwards. So yeah. like if you're going, Good you're idea. supposed to be going there. I'll just pretend like I forgot something. I'll just go backwards. That's yeah. That's my key to it. But well, I think we've all become kind of germaphobes now too. Yeah. So. Which is not a really bad thing, but yeah, I mean, I don't uh, feel as comfortable uh, getting close to people in a lineup and, and uh, crossing paths. I think we're okay, but it changes. Like, you know, you know, I mean, I usually shake every player's hand coming out of the dressing room, especially if I'm meeting them for the first time. I doubt I'll do that now, you know. Well, when, when I shook your hand today, were you a little, uh... No, no, it's fine. Good? Right. Yeah, we're good now, right? Like, but... I guess, yeah. Um... If we're, you know, because the Quebec League is going to start on October 1st, if there's some question about, I don't know, maybe Quebec's not on board at that point, and I don't know if I'd, I would, they probably want, wouldn't want to shake my hand either. Yeah. But I'd probably pass on it now. Just was there's not much upside, right? So it's true. Yeah. It's a good point. Yeah. The Quebec League this year, how is, uh, who's telling me? St. John. They yeah. have a great, they have a good team this year. Who, yeah. who who are these top two of the top teams in the league? You think this year? Like, what do you expect from the Q this um, year? Yeah, St. John is ready. To, they're ready. They'll be here this year and next year. Yeah, they're good. They're gonna be really deep. If anything, they have too many players. I know that sounds crazy, but not everybody can play. Yeah. Uh, on the first line, so they're the best Atlantic team. It's gonna be kind of a down year, I think, uh, in the Maritimes. You know, the Mooseheads would be better, but they're a, a year away at least. Uh, Cape Breton kind of loaded up last year so they're going to still have some pieces left but they're not going to be able to reload and then uh, Bathurst will be a little better they're not ready keep uh, Charlottetown a little bit better so yeah St. John's really the only top team yeah down here and then in uh, Quebec that ha I haven't thought about it that carefully but uh, I'd have to think about it. who's good there's so much turnover every year right so much yeah yeah. yeah, Valdor actually is a team to watch. Interesting. Yeah, they brought in uh, Jacob Peltier from Moncton, okay, and uh, a couple other top players. Yeah. So I always like it when the teams from those markets do well. Yeah. 
Yeah, they, uh, well, we saw Ruin Aranda win it twice in three years, you know. Yeah. Something like that, or four years, whatever it was. Yeah. Those fans really, they're diehards, right? So, from what I've heard, yeah. If yeah. we have, I've had a couple buddies on the, the teams from around here, and they say when they just go up to Quebec and you know, those parts in Quebec where mm. it's just the people that live there and that's it. No, it's crazy just the, the fan base and how loud they get and yeah. the pucks behind the glass and the horns. It's, it's a tough place to play. Well, I mean, there are a lot of, I know, and this works both ways, there are a lot of kids that are reluctant to leave their comfort zone. You know, Halifax kids, for example, going up to Ruin Aranda, but yeah, it's great. Like, I mean, it's not for everybody, but I think the players who jump in really get a lot out of it. I yeah. Mean, if you ask Tyler Heinem the last few years about playing in Ruin Aranda, winning a championship, and it's awesome, right? It's yeah. very different. And, you know, French kids are coming down here, and there were some years where they didn't want to go to Cape Breton, for example, but those are great markets. And, you learn a second language. You you learn a little bit about a different culture. It's uh, I would I would encourage any kid to at least try it. It's yeah. It's a big change in your life, but it's it's worth it. I think. I think a little guidance from the parents is good at that age mm. too to say you know it's great to live here in the maritime provinces, which it is. It's it's an awesome thing. Yeah. But like you just said, going out to Quebec and experiencing living with another family. I'll give you a perfect example of well, not necessarily going up to Quebec, but we had Cam McDonald on the podcast mm-hmm. two days ago, and he's 16, 17 years old. And usually when we have these 16, 17 year olds on the podcast, they're a little shy, a little hesitant to to answer questions and. When Cam came on the podcast, he was telling us about how he lived in Sioux Falls last yeah. year. And the year before that, he was uh, somewhere else, I forget now. And the maturity level on this kid, mm-hmm. the way he was able to talk to myself and dudes, the other guy was on the podcast, almost like an adult, not hesitant, not shy, just, you know, he, he was sure of himself and he, his answers were on point and he was telling stories, he was laughing and having a great time. And I remember coming into the podcast, I was like, oh, it's going to be a little bit of a tougher interview because mm. you know, you might be a little shy. And he, he proved me wrong. Yeah. Great kid. And I, and I attest to, I think, that conversation was because he moved away at 14. Yeah. He was able to have a conversation with adults when he was younger. He had to live with another family. He had to make the right decisions. So I always like to stress that to other kids that listen to the podcast. Is it, it'll help you grow up if you leave. It's tough, but... Yeah. No, I, w- I couldn't agree more. Uh, I can't recall. Cam probably went to a prep school for a year or two. Uh, yeah, I'd have to yeah check, he did. But I, all of the kids that take that route, uh, I mean, the recent kids that I've interviewed, Ethan Phillips. Great uh, kid. Um, Morgan Barron went to a prep school in Toronto. Uh, Shane Bowers went to Boston College. Actually, he went to Sioux Falls too, I think, didn't Yeah, he? they played on the same team. Yeah. They're so not, not the same team, not the same time. Yeah, yeah. so, I mean... It's not just that some of the, the prep schools will give you great education too, and that's part of it. You get a great education here too, but you're living in a dorm room or with a built family, or uh, once you're in university, you're on your own. Like yeah. there's a lot of maturing that you have to do. Yeah, I mean, if you're playing for the Mooseheads, I mean, they they do a great job of of you know basically raising them as de facto parents uh, along with their built families. Um, but these guys have to do more on their own and yeah. uh, they learn a lot that way. And, and they'll tell you too, if, if they look at it, cause the Quebec league obviously is, is a great league and I'd promote it to anybody, but uh, there's just as much value in going to play in the States. You know, Morgan Barron's going to have a Ivy league degree when he's done. Uh, he can still play next year. Can he? He, he still has yeah, a oh, year. Yeah. He could, if he wanted to, um, and he could finish his degree later, whatever he wants to do. So, uh-huh. And it's awesome environment there too in the rinks. I mean, the school 
support is is very different than a fan support for a junior team, but it's equally exciting the environments to play in. So there's no wrong way to do it, but I, I think you're right. Like with these kids having to go to the states or Ontario or even farther, uh, you're taking care of yourself. Even Sidney Crosby when he went to Shattuck had to do some of that stuff. Oh yeah, he, I never he was, thought of that. Uh, just turned 15 when he went there, and yeah. you know he came back and he was. Uh, strong student and you know could uh obviously he already was talking to adults no problem but got better at it so there's yeah. there's a lot of upside to, to to all that yeah hockey makes you grow up it's a cool sport yeah oh for sure yeah it's uh you know you got to earn your spot and it's uh some life lessons there well, a lot of sports are the same way yeah. you know but uh yeah that's true what, what's your sport like if it if you had to pick a sport uh well, I played soccer in university. Okay. So, uh, but I don't really watch many sports. No. If I'm honest. <laughs> well, because your job just makes you yeah. consumed with it. Yeah. You know, you need a break sometimes, right? Uh, I love hockey uh, to watch it. That that would is definitely the best to cover. Okay. And I used to watch it every chance I got as a kid. But why do you say it's the best to cover? Sorry. In Canada. In Canada. It's just okay. Well, there's the biggest following, right? Yeah. Um. I mean, I say that, but you know, if we're going back to lacrosse, that's going to be that's getting a ton of attention. And I, I, I love covering uh, the Wanderers too, the, yeah. the soccer team. It's an awesome atmosphere, and of course, being a soccer player, it's fun for me that way too. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I like. I actually, I watch a lot of golf. That's the main thing I watch, and because my kids into basketball, and I've coached them a lot, we watch a lot of basketball together. Have you been to but, uh, the basketball games here? The uh... Yeah, hurricanes. Yeah, I li- I love it. The yeah. hurricanes are, you know, we're compared to twenty five years ago when I was describing it. Uh, the amount of sports we have now is way higher. Um, we had the Mooseheads as the top league, and then university was still, you know, drawing a lot, especially football. But uh, you talk now, you've got the Mooseheads, you've got uh, Thunderbirds, you've got the Hurricanes, and you've got the Wanderers. I mean. Three pro teams and the Mooseheads are, you know, the, one of the highest drawing junior teams in Canada. So uh, we're kind of spoiled now with the amount yeah. we get to cover. So it's awesome. And even still, you still have university to cover, and even high school has huge, huge draw, right? So yeah. wish we had more people to uh, <laughs> to help us to write more. So yeah, just two of us, right? So anyway, but uh, yeah, no, I, I, I like I said, I played soccer and uh, I did play hockey, but not past high school. So yeah um soccer is the one where we pushed our kids originally but they all gravitated towards basketball so okay we became a basketball family do any of the kids have uh aspires to be what you are a reporter anything like that uh, or too still too young well my oldest son's going into engineering so he's going into a more stable industry than, than right. journalism <laughs> i don't know what my, my other kid will do yeah he's a good student and uh he'll have his choice of of, of ways to go but uh I don't really push them that way. It's it's tough right now. The, the jobs are drying up a little bit. It's not as bad in uh, broadcast, but uh, yeah, you know it's it's a struggle getting old newspaper readers onto the internet or new internet readers yeah. to subscribe. So you know it's it's a challenge right now, and I don't know if I would push them into it. Uh, That's fair around here because it's just harder to find work that you can count on, right? So. 
That's what we were talking to Mavs from Eastlink. He's just like, if, there, if you want to become a sports reporter, just do it. And he was using us in his, in his example. Like, I didn't go to journalism school or anything like that, but mm-hmm. I just, I didn't have the patience to. Like, I went to NSCC for marketing and I, you know, I love sports. I love talking to people. I love comedy. And I just kind of bundled everything into one. Yeah. And then this just kind of started and it's kind of led me to a career, which is nice. I'm not going to mm-hmm. say it's a full-blown career, but... And especially in a place like Halifax, every, I'm just, how many people want your job? I'm sure a lot of people, a lot of people want math jobs. A lot of people want to work for sports. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you got to carve out your way. Yeah. I mean, I think but the way you're doing it here, you work for yourself. Uh, you don't have the the overheads in place now. Yeah. I think if, if I were, were telling anybody now, I'd, I'd push them that way or, or to start your own web space. Um not that not that I don't like working where I'm working, yeah. Uh, but you know, it's a it's a grind to to keep people subscribing, and you know, it's a big it's a big uh, company that that needs to have a certain amount of infrastructure, right? Yeah. So, um, and not everybody can work for the CBC, and they don't even really have sports coverage at the CBC anymore. Really? Not locally, you know. There's. I guess so. They I haven't seen anything. Uh, yeah. You know, when I first started, uh, there were two newspapers. The Daily News was there too, and Global would be at every game. Uh, CBC would often be there. ATV would often be there. But it's just pretty much me now, because uh, it's just not enough on uh, you and you know, a few other people. But uh, just uh, I'm talking regular yeah. coverage. It's uh, it's harder, right? So it's. Uh, it's changed a lot. Definitely in the last 10 years, it's changed the most. You ever think about starting your own podcast or anything like that? I mean, I'd think about it, but uh, what would you call to compete it? with you guys. Um, no, I don't know. It's uh, it's a lot of work already having a full-time job and yeah. and three kids. And, um, you know, I'm also the president of our union. That's very time-consuming. Are you? Okay. I yeah. So there's... I Maybe when uh, everybody's grown and out of the house and I'm scaling back or, or if, you know, if I end up having to change careers it yeah would be a way to go no you know? willie don't do that we'll miss you we can't leave we can't leave i want to keep doing it yeah as long as i can just ho- hopefully there's a place to do it that's all yeah so you know one the other guy one other guy in our department's still on layoff right now so you know you worry a little bit about where things are headed so but yeah i'll keep doing it as long as they let me well it says a lot about your character willie you know like you've been here for a long time and like i said i've always looked up to you i've always read you and I don't know. It's just an honor to have you here. Like, yeah, you no, I love. Uh, I, I hope you guys do well. It's uh, it seems to be going well. Um, yeah, getting a lot of great guests, so uh, I'm. I, it was great. I'm glad you called me. Come awesome. Down. What's yeah. uh? One last question. What's the plan for the summer? What are you doing? Obviously, you got to stay within the bubble, but yeah, just more golf. What are you doing? Yeah, more golf. Uh, my my uh, that middle son, he's he's right into it now. So I've got a built-in partner. Nice. Um, and we're lucky where our families have cottages nearby. Nice. So uh, usually we go on a, on a trip somewhere to start the summer, but we, we won't need to or or be able to this year, and that's okay. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's hot now, so yeah, a lot of time around the water and, and the golf course. Good stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for joining. you got to come back. Yeah, anytime. Hopefully when sports come back and we can come and talk about yeah. actual things that are happening. Exactly. All right, everyone listening, thank you very much for uh, listening to the podcast. We appreciate all the support. Hope you enjoy uh, the rest of the week. Willie, once again, thank you. Thank you. All right, guys, we're out. Peace. If you are what you say you are, a superstar.
Trying to cash his microphone, check 212 Wanna believe my own hype, but it's too untrue The world brought me to my knees, what if you brung you? Did you improve on the design, did you do something new? Where your name in on the guest list, who brung you? You, the more famous person you come through And the sexy lady next to you, you come too And then the hitman, standing outside of heaven Waiting for God to come and get me I'm too uncouth, unschooled to the rules And too gumshoe, too much of a newcomer And too uncool, like Shadow and LaVille I battle with it with Although I need a holiday like lady who sung blue Go back, whatever you did, you undo Heavy as heaven, the devil on me two tons too If you are what you say you are A superstar Then have no fear The camera's here And the microphones And they wanna know Oh, 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 yeah And you better wear your shades Spotlights here can burn holes through the stage Down through the basement past the Indian graves Where the dinosaurs laid and out through China Nearly misses airliners magnified times five That's pointed at the rhyme of ricochets off the moon And sets the forest ablaze Now that's important to say Cause even with all that, most of us don't want it to fade Duh. We wanted to braid, meaning we wanted to grow, meaning we wanted to stay. Like the governor called and he told him to wait Unstrap him from the chair and put him back in his cage the audience ain't phased And they ain't gon' clap And they ain't gon' praise They want everything back That they paid Cause they been waiting since 10 To see the lights get dim If you are what you say you are A superstar Then have no fear The crowd is here And the lights are on And they wanna show Oh, oh, oh Yeah So show Chauffeur, come and take me away Cause I've been standing in this line for like five whole days Me and security ain't getting along And when I got to the front, they told me all of the tickets were gone So just take me home where the mood is mellow When the roses are thrown, M&Ms are yellow When the light bulbs around my mirror don't flicker Everybody gets a nice autograph picture One for you and one for your sister Who had to work tonight but is an avid listener Every song's a favorite song and mics don't feedback All the reviewers say you need to go and see that and everybody claps cause everybody is pleased And then they all take the stage and start performing for me Like ha 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 If you are what you say you are A superstar Then have no fear The camera's here And the microphones And they
just 